Welcome to Parallax by Anchor Calra, a podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology and the best from the US Cardiology Review. Published every second Monday, Anchor Calra, MD, interventional cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, USA, speaks with legendary cardiologists, reviews late-breaking trials and interviews authors of our latest and best US cardiology review articles. We call them hashtag audio articles. Parallax is the effect whereby the position or direction of an object appears to differ when viewed from different positions. So this podcast is your fix of reliable updates on all things cardiology by someone from a non-traditional background who is always looking at the industry from a new angle. Now, here's your host, Anka Kalra, MD. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to another episode of Parallax. I have with me uh, another uh, great um, guest with us today. Um, you know, I'm sure she needs an introduction. The world of academic cardiovascular medicine, um, as well as industry, you know, both know her really, really well. Um, so I have with me uh, Dr. Mori today, Laura Mori. Uh, she, of course, like I said before, needs an introduction. Dr. Mori was, until two years ago, a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School and an interventional cardiologist at uh, Brigham and Women's Heart and Vascular Center in Boston. And then about a couple of years back, she uh, made, made a move to join industry. Uh, she is now uh, the global vice president uh, for clinical research and data analytics uh, at Medtronic. Um, so without much further ado, Dr. Mori, welcome on the show and thank you for your time. Thank you, Ankur. It's a pleasure to join you today. Uh, great. So I, I'm, I'm sure the audience um, are very excited um, to have you on the show as well. Um, and uh, I would like to start uh, the program by asking you about um, a little bit of your childhood and, and background. You know, what were some of the influences um, during childhood uh, that led you to pursue uh, a career uh, in medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I'll be honest, when I was a kid, I really didn't think about medicine immediately um, as something that I would go into. It wasn't something that was, um, I, I had a few people in the family who were in medicine, but nobody directly. So it wasn't something that I was really watching or observing. Um, my, my parents were both um, immigrants to the United States um, from Italy and China. And um, so I always had a really strong interest in global uh, work or languages. Um, but I also had uh, a, a love for science and mathematics. Um, so, I, you know, there are a lot of different things that I thought about as a kid, but medicine wasn't immediately one of them. Science certainly was. Um, and I really enjoyed uh, traveling and, and living in, in different places. Uh, I spent a lot of time um, visiting family in other parts of the world, like Italy, um, and I also spent my high school years um, growing up in Tokyo, Japan. So those were really exciting experiences for me. So I imagined that I would do something that involves international international work. It wasn't until later that I started to think about medicine. Um, that's great. You know, sounds like a, a rich childhood with um, uh, you know experiences in Italy and, and Japan. Just just sound wonderful. Um, so when when was it that you um, you decided that you you wanted to be a, a physician, a doctor, and then what what was what was the path after you made that decision? What was the journey after that decision was made? 
Yeah, so I I came to the United States for for college, and I and I went and I did my undergrad at, at Harvard and Boston, and so I had a number of different possibilities in front of me. But at the same time, um, I had a personal experience where my my mother was ill with cancer, and is she was fairly young, and it came as quite a shock and a surprise to all of our family. Um, and it was really through watching her her personal experience with the healthcare system. Um, that I recognized a couple of things. Um, one, just the value of that interaction between the physician and the patient, that that just intimate relationship of providing um, support to somebody during a crisis. Um, and then also recognizing, um, you know, the significant unmet needs in healthcare and how they were supported by um, active research um, and advances in science. Um, so it was that um, experience, I think, that really... Um, made me excited about um, getting involved in medicine at that time. Um, so after um, you, you made that decision, um, how hard was it to get into, uh, I, I believe uh, medical school was at Harvard as well. Am, am I correct? Yes. Yeah, it was. So, uh, you know, for someone like myself, who's, who's a foreign graduate and, and an immigrant to the U.S. Um, who came with, uh, you know, dreams set to, to at some point in, in my my life and career, uh, either be at one of the Harvard hospitals for training or, uh, you know, later on. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel blessed and grateful and fortunate that I had that opportunity when I pursued my interventional fellowship at, at BI Deaconess, um, in, in 2015, 2016. But, you know, as, as someone, um, you know, who, who came from abroad and, and did undergrad at, at Harvard college, how hard was it, uh, to get into Harvard Medical School? Um, well, it didn't feel like it was a given at the time, I can tell you. Um, I think nobody, you know, nobody who's applying to medical school thinks it's going to be easy um, to get in anywhere. So it does feel quite daunting if I, you know, if I look back, I remember um, not at all taking that for granted. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just something that you go through, right? So I, I was a biochemistry major which I think gave a, a strong foundation at the time. And, um, um, you know, I don't think it was, it was just sort of um, being excited and I think passionate about what I was doing that, that probably, that probably helped to, uh, to get through the process. Yes. And then, um, you know, during medical school, wh when did you decide to pursue, was it always that you wanted to pursue a career in cardiovascular medicine or was it something that came out, came on later in, in your training as an, as an internal medicine resident, um, when did, when did that transition or when did that decision-making happen? Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I just happened upon it and I feel really fortunate that I did. Um, no, I really hadn't had specific exposure to cardiology. And as I was going through, I went through all of my, um, medical school training, you know, with a really open mind. And I, and I have to say, I really love surgery. Um, I also love medicine, but I was very attracted to, to surgery, I think, because of, um, well, doing something with your hands, having, you know, having a technical skill, um, seeing immediate results, having to be very precise about your, your actions. And I, I, I really enjoy that, as well as the acuity of the care um, that, that surgeons provide. Um, and, um, but I, I love medicine as well for the, you know, the complexity and, and, and in particular, I think when I, when I was struggling with this decision between whether to go into one track versus the, another, um, I had the opportunity to do a cardio 
cardiovascular rotation at the Brigham in the intensive care unit. Um, and it was such a tremendous um, synergy of all the different things that I enjoyed doing. Um, you know, you're, we're taking care of patients um, suffering from acute myocardial infarction. Many of them were being treated with novel therapies and clinical trials. Um, at the time, they were thrombolytics. Um, um, and it's it kind of, I feel like I'm dating myself a little bit to talk about thrombolytic trials at this point in time. But um, yeah, so that was really exciting to see how, you know, you could have something that had been on the bench, you know, just years before, and you were um, testing out to see how patients that you were taking care of were doing, and you could immediately see results. Um, and at the same time, you know, I had wonderful um, um, supervisors in that setting, you know, all the way from the level of the interns um, through the, through to the attendings who were supervising just people who were just so enthusiastic about what they were doing. Um, and I, and I'm still in touch with you know, I would say all of them to this day. And, you know, when I think about that team um, and just the contributions that they've gone on to make in cardiovascular um, science and care, um, it, it's just it's just pretty exciting. Um, so it was just a tremendous time, I think, to, to be exposed to cardiology um, with that combination of new therapies, both in the pharma side as well as the device-based side. Um, and... Um, and then that that immediate um, satisfaction that you get of taking care of ileal uh, patients. All right. So, how was it? Um, um, how was residency like at? Uh, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Your residency was it at was it was it also at Brigham and Women's Hospital in in Boston? Uh, so, how was um, how was it like to to be a resident at, at Brigham and Women's? And you know, uh, perhaps if you could. Um, uh, kindly describe you know some of the experiences you had with some of the attendings uh, at at the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine at Brigham and Women's at the time that yes you know yes, yes. led you to pursue a career in cardiovascular medicine right um, the, it was it was a wonderful place to train as a resident I have to say um, you know I think the Brigham first we, we just had a wonderful cohort of interns and residents to be together with. Um, you know, people who really brought a lot of um, enthusiasm about what they were doing, but more than that, were really just nice people to work with. And so, you know, it's it's wonderful to have that cohort of friends um, to this day. Um, the the Brigham, you know, I think is special because of the combined commitment to clinical excellence as well as research. So, as residents, we had. Um, the ability to take a year off in our third year to devote almost entirely to to research. But the first two years were very clearly committed to very intense, you know, clinical work, just as you would expect. Um, and so that gave us, I think, a great exposure to um, that potential for a combined career in clinical care and, and research. Um, and, you know, through that exposure, I was, I was really able to see a very strong, um, cardiovascular faculty. Um, you know, when I think about being exposed to people like Dr. Brownwald and Dr. Pfeffer, Dr. O'Gara, um, at that stage in my career, um, as well as numerous other clinicians, um, and, um, esteemed trialists, it really had a, a huge impact, I think, in the way that I thought about the potential for my, my career to develop. Um, and so you just saw the spectrum of, um, 
you know, what we do in clinical trials and in research really impacts um, directly on the patients that we take care of day to day. And so those kinds of conversations were very fluid in between uh, research and clinical care. Um, and then in particular, um, for, for me, is uh, I became, became more and more interested in, um, you know, uh, thinking about doing clinical trials work while I was there. And, and part, that was a switch for me because my, my background in the past had been in, in, as I said, in biochemistry and more um, basic research and immunology, vascular biology. Um, but I, I just found the link uh, between clinical research and um, clinical care to be something very compelling. Um, and I saw it really em embodied in the work of two people who became my mentors, Don Bame and, and Rick Kuntz, who are both interventional cardiologists, as you know, uh, both of them uh, who were at the Beth Israel before they moved to the, to the Brigham at, uh, when I met them. And, um, you know, you, you would just see them both uh, taking care of patients as well as, you know, thinking about uh, clinical trials and, and rigorous study of, of medical devices um, as being very connected um, in terms of providing the best care for patients. Um, so that was really inspiring to me. And that, that, that led me towards my future decision to become an interventional cardiologist. Okay, great. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, as, a, as an interventional fellow at, at, the, at the Deaconess um, and, and Beth Israel Hospital in, in 2015 and 2016, I, I obviously heard a lot of stories, uh, you know, rotating through um, that, that lab. Um, but, you know, it, it's very heartening to, to learn from you as well as to, you know, what really influenced your uh, decision as a, as, a fellow, as a fellow in general cardiovascular diseases to then pursue a career in interventional cardiology. Um, uh, but, you know, tell us more about that, about that relationship. Uh, you know, to, this is probably uh, some, some great trivia, but, you know, you know, tell us more about how was it like to actually work with Don Bame um, and also to, to work with, work with Rick Coons. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the audience would, would, would love to listen directly from you. Yeah. Um, I think working with Don was great. I mean, as you probably know, Don wrote a textbook um, on cardiac catheterization together with uh, Bill Grossman that um, is still a classic. And I remember reading it um, as a fellow just starting out in the cath lab. And you realize um, as you're reading that, but even more so when you worked with Don, that he did everything for a reason. There was always some, it was his experience or, or um, but it was always very logical. He was just super logical. Um, and it was just a great way to, to approach things that there was, um, there was often a good way of doing things and he had figured it out by trying out all the other ways as well and comparing them. Um, and so that, that kind of very analytical approach, I really, um, respected. Um, and, uh, you know, seeing that, you know, in one person you could combine, um, having somebody who was just very thoughtful and scientific, um, together with somebody who was actually able to do a great job, you know, from a technical perspective in the cath lab and, and bring those two things together. Um, so he, he was, a, he was, he was great to work with, um, a great role model, had a wonderful sense of humor. And I think in particular, um, as, as a woman in international cardiology, you know, there was just never any, never any question about, you know, whether 
um, whether that was going to be any different for me than it was for any of my other compatriots going through the process. He was just as supportive um, and and very strongly so. So I think he was a tremendous um, role model to to work with. Um, and, and Rick very much so, you know, as somebody who trained with Don, um, brought that similar, um, sense of humor and, um, and combination of both, you know, very critical scientific thinking together with, um, real care for, for patients, um, real dedication for patients. So it's, um, it's nice to see that because you, you don't, they're, they're just, I think that's exceptional for people to be be able to bring those skills together. Um, yes. And, um, I, I agree. I mean, it's it's tough to excel uh, in in both realms, um, you know, of clinical uh, care of patients as well as you know clinical investigation. And I, I believe um, there are many, uh, you know, like myself uh, and and several others who've, who've looked up to uh, careers like uh, that of yours um, and and Bobby A. Um, you know, to, to emulate because, you, you know, you, you both sort of exemplify, uh, you know, excellence in clinical care as well as clinical research. So for for the fellows in training and also for, you know, early career um, interventionalists, you know, like myself and, and several others who are our audience, what are some of the, um, some of the recommendations you would give um, to, to develop a, a career being mindful of taking care of both aspects because you know i it, it is it is uh, according to me i think and i've i've thought about this a uh, day in and day out is you know you have to be deliberate about it you you uh, is what i think you know because uh, you could it could it could totally, you could your your career in clinical investigation could totally take a backseat as you know clinical care comes to the forefront uh, and vice versa so I, I i do think um there has to be a fine balance but Mm-hmm. is is challenging is is yeah. uh, and uh, you know in my experience is, is is a very conscious decision on a daily basis um but i i will you know obviously want to hear more from you yeah um I, I agree i think it's it may be even more challenging now than it was when i was a clinical um fellow and you know in my early career i i, I think i was very fortunate to have started my career in the environment that I did. I mean, I think, I, th- I think of one having excellent mentorship, um, and then two having a great environment. Um, and I, I think it's important for, for, especially for, um, an interventionalist or a proceduralist, if you're going to combine two, two, these two things, you know, you, you really want to devote yourself hundred percent to both of them. And I, and I know that you don't have twice as much time as anybody else. So you don't really have the time to do that. But my point is that um, you want to approach them with a similar level of intensity. So the only way that you can do that is to really um, prioritize what you choose to do within each of those spaces. So, you know, you do have to make choices. And I remember, you know, thinking about how diverse of a practice in interventional cardiology I should develop. And I, um, you know, I, I, at the time, the big growth area was this was before transcatheter valves was really in in uh, peripheral arterial disease treatment, and you know I would have been intrigued to do that clinically, but I knew that I wouldn't be able to do everything that I wanted to do in clinical research. And then later on, I had to make the choice of um, yes, I was involved in developing trials for transcatheter valves, but 
um, did I have a time in an early career and um, as well as in an early um, device development time to invest the time that the patients would need in that space to um, to do both. Um, and so I made a decision to stick with, um, you know, complex coronary intervention is, is my area of specialty with the cath lab. So I, you know, you, you, you do have to say no to some things. And then likewise on the research side, I think I, I always thought about choosing to do things that were really worth the time, um, uh, and not saying yes to everything, but, but just being as, as judicious as you could be, um, with your time. But then once you chose then to really dive into things with a hundred percent, um, effort, um, so that you would, you, you could be successful. Um, and I think the environment, the reason the environment makes such a, a big deal there is that, um, I think you need to be in an environment that supports, uh, supports you to do that. And the, the way that they do that is it's not just to say that, you know, you have dedicated time for research, but, on the clinical practice side, it has to be a, a setting where you feel it's high quality and, and a high volume place um, so that you, you can um, stay excellent um, at what you do or, or develop your skills early in your career. Yes. So um, let me uh, ask you another question as, a, as an extension to this answer, which, you know, which was an excellent answer is um, uh, you, you mentioned about, um, you know, choosing wisely. Um, and, you know, the, the path you want to take in your career, um, is, is that decision based on what's, what's in trend or what's trendy versus something that truly, truly interests you, but may not be as trendy. For example, I'm just going to, just going to give you an example from interventional cardiology. And that is, you know, transcatheter valve therapies are, are, are very trendy. Um, and even, even, even within, you know, for a reason, I mean, obviously they're, they're exciting developments for the field and, um, you know, the, there are uh, a lot of procedures under the rubric of structural heart interventions, which are now being performed. Um, I, and, you know, I think within each, within the, within the realm of structural heart interventions, you have, you know, obviously the aortic valve, but also mitral and, and now tricuspid. Um, and, you know, the, the way the field is moving, you know, there's a lot of clinical investigation happening in the tricuspid space now, but if someone um, is, is not as interested in, in tricuspid and remains interested in, in aortic interventions, should someone then consciously decide to, 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 to pursue versus not pursue tricuspid? Uh, I mean, the, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you you understood the point I'm trying to get at. And that is, should the, should the decision be truly based on what truly, truly interests you and catches your attention? And, um, versus something which you, you may foresee or, or think is going to become quote unquote trendy. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a complicated question. I don't think there's a simple answer to that. Um, I mean, I, I think you can't be stuck in the past. Obviously you, you want to be thinking about where's the field going. Uh, but you also don't want to be a follower where, you know, you're simply doing what everybody else is doing. Um, so I think it's a combination of, you know, being passionate about what you choose to do, being convinced that it's the right direction, even if not everybody's following. Um, and then, you know, but also being, you know, being mindful of what the trends are so that you're not um, getting left, uh, left behind. Um, 
So I think it's a balance. I mean, ideally, you are anticipating where things are going so that you can um, develop your career in that direction. But it doesn't mean that that there's one way um, that's best for for everyone. I mean, there's there's obviously a great value to being the specialist in an, in a specific area where there there is um, you know limited expertise. And I think that one way of doing that is by making connections across different areas that others might not have have seen. Um, so that could be you know when I think about you know new areas like. Um, like transcatheter valves, more generally bringing together surgeons and cardiologists who are learning each other's areas, bringing that together with cardiovascular imaging. Um, the same kinds of principles are true for other areas, you know, thinking about renal denervation in the future and how that requires new ways of thinking from both interventional cardiologists and hypertension specialists. Um, and then on the research side, um, you know, a lot of a lot of what I thought about was how do we take you know, advanced methods that statisticians are thinking about and then apply them to the questions that are relevant for clinicians. Um, so, so I think you don't necessarily have to follow and, but you do want to identify what the, what the urgent needs are and then maybe bring your own unique solution to those. Yeah. Well, excellent. So, um, which, which brings me to, um, your, your years, uh, at, at Brigham and Women's, uh, you know, where you obviously um, you know, led uh, several important studies and and rose to, uh, rose through the ranks to become professor uh, at Harvard. Now, how was it? How was how how were those how were those years uh, um, spent? In, you know, looking back, it's I know it's only been less than a couple of years, but what what are some of the memories you you, you reminisce from from that uh, time? Because I mean, I think you spent several years, like as as a trainee, as I mean, as a med student, then as a trainee, and then uh, on faculty at at Brigham and Women's Hospital. So just if you don't mind walking us through those years. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think of the Brigham very fondly. You're right. I was there from my medical school rotations all the way through until two years ago. Um, so my whole medical career, essentially. Um, so I, I am very fond of the hospital. Um, you know, I think it's, um, I think it's really the people that you remember the most, the teams um, and you know, not just the physicians, but, you know, all of the the staff that you work with day in and day out, the fact that you can, you know, walk into a procedure room and, and people know you and they know your family and they know, um, you know, they know about you. And, and, and more than that, that you can walk into an acute setting and, and, um, take care of the patient. And then, you know, we had our share of, um, challenging things that happened within, within the hospital with, um, um, you know, one of our, one of our colleagues, um, Dr. Davidson, um, dying prematurely, um, you know, within the hospital. And that was a really traumatic event that we all went through together. And, um, and just the, the way that people pull together in those situations, they just really stick with you. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I think there's there's no place like being in a hospital for years and years and years for developing those kinds of intense relationships. Um, and then um, what are some of the um, most, um, I, I think, fa- like, yeah, probably most favorite, you know, or memories that you're fond of um, as, as, a, as a mentor? Because I'm, I'm sure you, you mentored mm-hmm. uh, several residents and fellows who, um, you know, pursued training. Uh, 
uh, both clinical and research training um, at, at Brigham. How, how was that experience for you? It's it's great. I mean, it's it's wonderful to see people progress through their career um, and people make their their choices um, throughout. So I think, um, yeah, watching people's careers evolve, everybody makes different choices of of where to go um, with their with their work. Um, but seeing uh, the satisfaction that comes from from those choices is is really exciting, and you can you. It really, you know, it takes years to see that play out. So it's it's really a long term um, investment of time um, to support that. And then, and then that interaction with a, a mentor, I think, over years. I mean, you you mentioned uh, Bobby Yeas, and he's he's obviously a, a star example, and now um, a well known investigator um, to to everybody in interventional cardiology for sure, and 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 beyond that for um, outcomes research. Um, but remembering, you know, from working from him when he was just developing and choosing how to proceed with his career, um, as a fellow, um, through the time period of, of, um, you know, trying different research methods and then, um, and then eventually moving on to run his, um, own outcomes research center at the, at the Beth Israel Deaconess Center. I mean, it's just very exciting to, um, to, to watch the, uh, how quickly um, a career like that can develop. Yeah, you know, and if Bobby's listening, I'm, I'm not sure he is, but you know, as, as someone I've uh, I've tried to look up to and emulate, you know, my career path, and uh, I'm sure at some point I will have him on the show as well. Um, so, uh, but but coming coming back to your career, so about two years ago, you decided to um, to, to transition to industry, which you know I'm sure was um, was a decision that that came came in with a lot of thought. Um, so, you know, um, a couple, couple questions, couple follow-up questions to, to that is one, how has, how has that been for, how has that, how's the transition been for you? Uh, but, but before you answer that, you know, what was the, what were some of the, um, pivot points, uh, at that point in time in your career where, where you decided to leave medicine? I, I shouldn't say, I, I shouldn't really say you left medicine. I mean, you're, 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 you're still doing a lot of, uh, things to to improve lives and and impact patient care um you know through through innovation and analytics and research uh but what was the uh, how, how was the decision what was it a, was it a hard decision to leave uh, a prestigious institution like the Brigham and Women's and an academic appointment at Harvard Medical School and and join Medtronic yeah um i mean on the one hand i was always always being exposed to the role of industry in advancing um, medicine, because um, uh, you know, as you know, working working on clinical trials, I was always working with new devices from an early stage through to, you know, the pivotal trials, um, and then using them in, in practice. So I, I really, I knew that I enjoyed supporting that process um, from an academic perspective. Um, I think what I valued as an academic was the ability to. Um, work across, you know, multiple different um, companies and areas and, um, and have really the ability to give a very, um, I, I guess, independent um, thought to, you know, how, how to proceed with um, different choices, whether it was for, um, you know, early stage device or how to, how to conduct a study. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that part of my work. Um, at the same time, 
I realized that that was like a small slice of what, um, what is done in, in industry. And I, I, I think at a certain point I felt that I had contributed, uh, and had the impact that I wanted to have from academic medicine, but I wanted to continue to expand how, how I could have impact in in medical technology and, and really expand, um, you know, my own personal way of contributing to that. Um, and so it, it has not been a difficult transition. Actually, it's been um, really pretty uh, seamless. I mean, I wouldn't say it's easy because it's very exciting and challenging and stimulating to be working in a new environment. It's very different working in a in a company than it is working in a in a hospital, for example. Um, and the work is um, even more global. Um, you know, even though I, I obviously worked with inter- international investigators before, I think it's it's just it's very interesting to see um, how we provide access to therapy across the world. Um, and then um, also, you know, how do we work beyond cardiovascular? So, so Medtronic, as you know, has products in diabetes and spine and, and many other areas um, that are uh, outside of cardiology. Um, so really thinking more along the lines about how do we generally support better research um, to allow um, access to new new therapies um, in the future. So it's been it's been very ex- exciting, but also um, not. I don't think I've had any regret or any looking back and saying, "Gosh, I wonder if I made the right choice." It's been um, it's been very fulfilling. I uh, know that's uh, that's great great to learn. Um, so what what is um, I, I you know before we end the segment, uh, I wanted um, um, you know because I have this opportunity of having you. W- w- what are some of the um, advice that you would give to early career interventional cardiologists um, or, you know, just early career cardiologists or even fellows in training uh, who, who, want, who um, want to pursue a career in clinical investigation, who want to pursue a career at some point with industry? Um, do, do you think uh, these decisions uh, come with time? Do, do, do you think... Um, or, or these decisions should be made upfront or it, it's, I'm sure it's different for different, uh, individuals and, and, you know, uh, each one of us have, have different priorities and, and, and dreams and, and what, what we want to fulfill, um, or, or what we want to do to have a fulfilling career. But what are some of the advice you would give to, uh, to early career, um, investigators and clinicians? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is very individual. Um, you know, there are there are people who go into industry um, after they get their medical degree, and then there are others um, who leave their careers. You know, fairly fairly after they're quite established um, and still have a lot to contribute. Um, and I think it, what you contribute is is different based on based on the experience that you gained. Um, but it's not just what you bring in. It's also the kind of the track that you have in front of you to continue to contribute. So I, I don't think it's better or worse to, to make a transition early or late. I, um, I think it's really, I would say if I had to put my finger on what matters, it's, you know, are you, where are you going to have the most impact with the skills that you have? Um, right now and then over, you know, the near term of your career, it's, it's harder to project, you know, your entire career in front of you, but, but just thinking about, are you having an impact now? Um, and could you have a bigger impact, um, 
it, with a, with a career change that those are some of the things that, you know, I thought about when, um, when I thought about, um, the transition, um, that I think are probably relevant at, at, at multiple points in your career. Um, Great. Um, well, you know, uh, Dr. Mori, uh, it's it's been my absolute honor and, and pleasure having you on the show. Um, thank you for making the time uh, to talk to us, and I, I'm I can't wait to um, share with you the the response that we've had from our listeners, uh, you know, on social media and um, and also you know different podcast platforms. Um, so thank you again. Thank you, thank you, Akbar. It's, it's fun talking with you. I appreciate it. Dear cardiologists, we want to make this podcast about you and for you. So please email us your critical thoughts, comments and questions at podcast at radcliffe-group.com and visit uscjournal.com for more information. You can also follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram at Radcliffe Cardiology for daily updates. Join thousands of cardiologists and become a Radcliffian by registering to radcliffecardiology.com. You will receive regular newsletters and gain access to hundreds of expert interviews, educational webinars, clinical cases, and peer-reviewed articles from our six medical review journals on general cardiology, interventional cardiology, arrhythmia and electrophysiology, cardiac failure, and vascular and endovascular surgery. Thank you.